Thank you so much, Adele, and thank you everyone for being here. And we feel we've communicated a lot to you today, so um, I just pray you'll be able to maybe relax, <laughs> sit back, and go on a journey with us. And that's what we want to do, not just today, but over the course of this year until next summer. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to start a series today which will continue going. It will appear in different um, ways, different sizes, different shapes, different words. But we're going to go on a year-long journey uh, covering what we call the, the big story of the Bible. We're calling this Living in the Story with a capital S. And um, I'm going to introduce this to us today. We're going to do two things in this message. I'm going to, first of all, try to go up to the 30,000 feet level. I'm going to do some big picture stuff at the start and introduce the series and why it's important to do this. And then I'm going to try to land the plane, or not land it, maybe bring you a little bit lower, and look at the, the life of an individual in the book of Genesis. So for those who are waiting to do the Bible reading, I will get there. It will be halfway during the message, not at the start. However, we live in a society today that questions whether there is a big story. Um, I've already mentioned France once in an illustration this morning, um, second mention, and I love French people, I speak French, so this has got nothing whatsoever to do that I don't like France, but in the 1950s in France, a movement was birthed through a group of intellectuals that eventually became known as postmodernism. And eventually in the 80s and 90s, that kind of spread into people's thinking. And what it really did was question the structures of our society, and in particular, whether there is what they called a meta-narrative, a big story that we all live under. And they concluded that there is none. We don't have a big story. We don't have a narrative that we all live under. And if we think we do, then we need to question it and take it apart and realize it doesn't exist. That's a big challenge for us as Christians because we believe not just we live within a big story, but we live within a biblical story. We live within God's story that has been handed down to us um, uh, through Scripture, but also the history of the Jewish people and through the last 2,000 years in the Christian church. And so what does it mean to us to live in a story and to live that out in such a way in a world that doesn't really believe there is one anymore? And does it make any difference? What does it look like if you live your life not believing there is a story or you live under a very different story? So the question at the start is, what story do you live in? So I'm going to tell you my story as briefly as I can. There's an awful lot I'm going to leave out. Um, you know my name. My name is Don. I was born in the 1960s in Northern Ireland in the city of Belfast. Uh, when I was a little boy, I heard gunshots and bombs going off and buildings going in fire. I heard all kinds of stories in the news about people who were being killed. In 1971, my cousin Anne was blown up in an IRA bomb explosion. When I was 16 years old, two terrorists broke into my house. One put a gun to my head and told me he was going to kill me. I grew up with that experience. That was part of my story growing up in Northern Ireland in the 60s and in the 70s. And it shaped me fundamentally in ways I didn't fully understand. 
I grew up in a, a loving home. I grew up in, in a church that was part of a, a movement that originated in the 1830s in Dublin and Ireland. It was part of a group of churches that were all kind of seeking to get back to basic um, biblical Christianity. They felt there was a lot of religion around and they wanted to get back. There were a whole group of different movements at that time. Some of them actually developed into cults. And sometimes I think mine had the traces of a cult about it. But anyway, um, I, I was okay growing up in that. And then as I started to understand, well, why do we never see any women reading the Bible in my church? Why do women have to wear a hat on their head? Why can women not pray or lead a service like Lindsay or Odell or Janet have done today? Why do women not do that? No one answered that for me. And all the time, we used to hear messages about the end of the world. On average, probably at least every two weeks, we had a sermon about the end of the world. In fact, the movement I grew up in, we invented the end times, okay? We really did. And some of you who know what that movement is, you know what I'm talking about. All the stuff, all the books that have come out since the 1830s, we were the ones to blame. Um, and so I didn't realize how that shaped me. I was, those are just two examples. Another one would be, I was 19 years old before I'd heard the words Holy Spirit. I never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. No one ever talked about it, certainly not experienced it in my church growing up. And there's all kinds of other ways. And when I grew older, I realized that story was shaping me. And it was shaping me in negative ways. When I was 21, I left Northern Ireland, went to Canada for the first of several times. You know, I, I was there for about 10 years in the two, early 2000s. But in that first period, we went to Western, I went to Western Canada, went to study theology. I had given up my job, I'd sold my car, left everything behind and went on a journey to Western Canada and God opened my mind, my heart, my life changed fundamentally during the three and a half years I was in the Canadian prairies. And lots of things changed about me. And I started to understand, I don't need to live in that story anymore. All the negative experiences that I grew up with, I don't need to let that control me. I don't need to, I lived in a goldfish bowl growing up with little yellow, green fish and little orange fish floating in the goldfish bowl and they hated each other. You know what I mean when I'm talking about that. When I went to Canada, I saw outside the goldfish bowl and go, I don't need to live in that anymore. Catholics and Protestants, we're, we're all the same. We love God. We have different beliefs and views, but we can, we can easily point the finger at one another and say, your way is the wrong way. You are religious. You've got traditions. We don't. Oh, really? Oh, really? Even my little church that grew up thinking it didn't have any traditions, it had all kinds of traditions. And we can live in those stories or live outside that, realizing there's a better story to live in. And that's what I want to share with us today. How about if you lived in a different story? How about if you lived in this story? That you are created, loved, and valued by God, and every single human being on this planet bears his image. We're all broken, and I know that's not a nice word to say, but I personally prefer that word than fallen. I don't like the word fallen, although I understand why people use it. As I read the Bible, I see that we're, there's something broken in all of us. No one's perfect. We never have been, yet we're still loved unconditionally by God. Thirdly, we're part of a bigger story, a better story, a bolder story that started with a man called Abraham, 
expanded under another man called David and found its fulfillment in Jesus. And we're going to learn about that today and over the course of this year. Imagine that every day you woke up, you reminded yourself that you're adopted. You're adopted into a worldwide ancient family of people who have been called to love God and know God as a father, and you were part of that family. What if you woke up every day and you realized you've been accepted and invited into a relationship with this God, a relationship that's eternal, without beginning, without end, that you're part of? What if you every day understood that you've been appointed to give your life and my, to give my life to a bigger purpose, a greater cause than the daily grind of nine to five and everything associated with it? There's something greater that we're destined for. And imagine every single day you stop worrying about the future and you realize that the future is certain, it's secure, and it's assured. Nothing in heaven, earth, or anything under this earth can ever separate you from the source of all love that one day will reconcile all things to himself and love will win. And what if you actually believe that and lived in that kind of story in case of the, instead of the stories that we all live under? And so today, I want to start to unpack this to you. Jesus lived in a story. He lived in two stories. He lived um, in, a, in the world of his time that was in Israel or Palestine, occupied by the, the Romans. They were a, a small nation. They had no rights or government. They were controlled by this huge empire, this little backdrop out in the middle of nowhere. He, that's one story that he lived under. But Jesus lived under another story. Um, after he died and rose again, he was on a road one day called a road to Emmaus. Keep that in your mind. I might mention that at the end of the message as well. As he's walking down this road, he's on, he meets two people, and they're talking about a story. And they don't understand what just happened when this man called Jesus died on the cross. We thought he was going to save and change the world. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought, what's gone wrong? And it says, Jesus walked along them. He listened to their words. The Bible says this. He said to them on the road to Emmaus, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He wasn't just talking about the Bible. He was talking about a story. And then what we call the Old Testament, which is really the Hebrew Bible, it's in three parts. It's a story. And it's built into the laws of Moses. It's about the prophets and the kings and the kingdom of God and how it came and how they failed. And there's all these books that give us wisdom to how to live our lives, like Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job. Jesus lived in that story. That story shaped him. And it didn't just shape him, but look at what he says here. That story was written about him. He's the key to unlocking the story. He's the key to understanding why were all these sacrifices offered? Like what was that about when they took a lamb and they sacrificed it? What was all this kingdom that God said he was going to bring through David that would never ever end? Like it doesn't feel like that. We're not in any kingdom in Jesus' day anyway. What's all this hope that God's going to transform the world? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where peace and justice will live? Like where is that coming from? Jesus said, all of that finds fulfillment in me. And if you follow me, I will be the key to unlock that door. 
This is really what it looks like. And over the course of this year, in um, the next month in September, we're going to think about some of the origin stories in Genesis. In October, we're going to have a little dip into the prophets. Um, in November, we're going to think about some of the wisdom. And then in January, we're going to focus on Jesus for two months. Then we'll have a little look into Acts and finish at the end of the letters. That's the journey we're going on this year. We invite you to come with us on this journey. And if you do, and if you're open to this, you won't just expand your Bible knowledge. That's not what we're ultimately trying to do. We're trying to help us all learn this story and understand that we're part of it too. We have a part to play in the story. That's the 30,000 feet. Let's bring the plane down to earth. If you have a Bible or uh, on your phone, please turn to Genesis chapter 12. I want to ground this in the first of our stories that we're going to go through this year. In Genesis chapter 12, it's a story about a man called Abraham, and it's one of the origin stories. Over the next three weeks, we're going to learn about a God who calls us, and then next week, Andy's going to be taking us through what it means for understanding a God who commits himself to us in a covenant. He doesn't just say he loves us, but he enters a covenant relationship and commits himself to us. And then thirdly, we're going to look at a test and learn about the God who leads us into testing. But first of all, what did we learn today about Abraham? Genesis 12 says, uh, reads as follows. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that he'd accumulated, and the people that they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. When Abraham then traveled through the land as far as the great, the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem, at the time the Canaanites were living in the land. The Lord then appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. Then he again built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out, continued through towards the Negev. If you don't know the geography of the Israel or Palestine, he basically started in the north, he stopped in the middle, he pitched his tent, and then he went right down to the south coast where you all go for your holidays these days. So what is that all about? Let's think about this for a moment. And why are we starting with Abraham? We're starting with Abraham because he is the father portrayed in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as the father of our faith. Every time he's mentioned in the New Testament, he is held up as an example of what it means to have faith, to live by faith, to trust God against all of the odds. He is the father of our faith. Even today, there are three great religions in the world, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and the Islamic faith that all trace their roots to Abraham. Jews and Christians, we accept him um, and as, as the father of our faith and the promises that come down through his son Isaac. 
the uh, Islamic faith is a wee bit different. They kind of take it off in another direction through one of his other sons, and they retell and change the story, but that's for another time. And so he's the father of faith, but he's also called the friend of God. And of all people in the Bible, Abraham was a man who learned to walk closely with God. He had an experience of God. He didn't just believe in God. He encountered God. He talked to God. He listened to God. He experienced God. And he's described as the friend of God. And so in this story that I've just read you today, I want to look at a couple of things. This is the call of Abraham. This is where God basically stepped into our world and said all of the previous stories that you've heard about the, the, the garden and how people fell away from God and rebelled against God and violence came into the world, the story of the great flood and, and the damage and destruction that that caused in our world, even though God saved one family, and this great tower, the city with the tower that stretches up to heaven, all of those stories are just a backdrop for this. All of those previous stories in the book of Genesis were accounting for, for human beings' failure and their attempt to try to work their way back up to God. God says, I've got a better plan. Don't try to reach up to me. Don't try and build your tower up to heaven. Don't try and work your way to heaven. Don't try and find me by your own means. It will always end in failure. There's a better way. Let me show you the better way. God stepped into this world and he started to speak and he started to speak. We have no idea how Abraham heard him, what it sounded like, how he knew it, but he knew it was God. He was living in a land called Ur, which is in Mesopotamia, far, far away from the, the modern land of Israel, far away. And God spoke to him and said, leave, leave your land, leave your place of birth, leave your father's household. And Abraham obeyed and went halfway. We know that because at the end of chapter 11, Abraham is no longer in Ur, but he's in a town called Haran. God didn't tell him to go there. And that was the halfway house. Did you notice that the NIV had said what the Lord had said to Abraham? In other words, God had told him to leave and go to the place he would show him. Abraham stopped at Haran. And in Genesis 11, his father dies. God then reminds him, this is not where I called you to. Go, go south, go to that land, start to walk around it, okay? Breathe the air of that land. I'm going to give you that land, and I'm going to do something in your life. So the first thing we learn is God told him to leave. When Jesus was here, when Jesus walked in this planet, when he started his ministry and he walked around the land of Israel, he saw fishermen and tax collectors um, zealots who were like kind of freedom fighters and all kinds of guys. And he said, leave, leave your, your, your nets, okay? Leave your tax collecting, leave your swords behind and follow me. The first thing Jesus did was to call people to leave something behind. Now, I don't believe God is calling all of us to leave Scotland or leave Canada or leave Switzerland. Some of us have left our homeland and gone out on a journey. That's not what it's saying here. But God is calling all of us to leave behind what is going to hinder us and stop us from following Jesus. Stop us from living in this story. Stop us from experiencing all that God has for us. And, and I don't know what that might be for you, but every single person who comes to Jesus, the first thing Jesus says is, leave it behind. Leave the things behind. Don't bring them with you. 
Okay, there was one occasion where a rich young ruler came to Jesus. Jesus didn't say this to everyone, but he knew it was his money. It was his riches, his wealth, and he said, sell it all. Give it all away. Give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says, the man walked away sad. He wouldn't give it up. The next thing Jesus does is meets a man called Matthew. He's in his tax collector's booth. He says the same thing. Matthew, give it up. Leave it all behind. Give back what you've stolen to people. And he gave it up, and he came and followed Jesus. So the first thing about entering this story that I think God wants to tell us today is you have to leave something behind. You don't just add God to your journey. Becoming a person of faith is not saying, God, I'm going to hold on to everything I've got, and I'm going to take you too. Okay, like get, on, get in the boot, trunk. Okay, or get in the back of the car, gods. Uh, come along with me, but I'm going to keep all my stuff. When you keep all your stuff and you hang on all your stuff, it holds you back. It holds you back. Let go. Leave. And secondly, go. Go to the land I will show you. Again, this was a physical land, a literal place that Abraham went to. And as we've said, he walked around the land. He pitched a tent. He built an altar. He worshiped God. God said, I'm going to give you this land. That may not, that's not what God's saying to us. But the land is symbolic of this relationship. In this land, Abram was going to have a relationship with God. That's what it was about. It was going to be lived out in a new land. And what God's saying to us is, leave things behind and step out. Go on a journey with me. I'm going to lead you to places that might be to other lands. You may go somewhere else. You may leave Edinburgh. Okay, but go on the journey with me and experience everything that I have for you. Leave and go. And then thirdly, God made him a promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who curses you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In case you didn't notice, the key word here is bless. The word bless in Hebrew is an interesting connotation that literally means this. This is what bless means in Hebrew. It means to kneel. Why? What's that about? It means to kneel and submit to something, someone greater than you, that you need. This is not about me. <laughs> I'm going to bow my knees and receive from God what he wants to give me. I'm going to start from a place of submission. I'm going to start from a place where I want to receive from him. I'm going to lay things down, and I'm going to be in that place to receive from, the, from, from God. Secondly, the word bless means to open up possibilities. It's the opposite of curse. To curse is to shut things down. To bless is to open things up. And notice what God's going to do. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give so much to give you, Abraham. And I'm going to bless, bless, bless you. But I'm going to do this so that, what? So that you can bless others. I'm going to pour things into your hands so that you can give them away, Abraham. I'm going to give you possessions and, and, and family. And, and Andy will talk about this next week. I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation through your son. But I'm going to do that so that you can bless others. Don't hold on to it for yourself. Don't be selfish. When God gives, he gives us so that we can be generous. And the mark of somebody who really knows and loves God is a generous spirit. 
so that we don't need to really keep talking about things like money and church because we just love God. We want to bless others and see others, you know, come into the kingdom. That we just want to be generous. Interesting, did you know that Abraham was the very first person in the entire Bible to tithe, even before God told him to do so? He did it. And so this is where we start today, the story of Abraham, the God who promises, the God who promises to bless him. And Abraham responded. How did he respond? He responded by building an altar. What's an altar? <laughs> we don't have altars in our church. If you went to um, an Anglican church or maybe a Lutheran church or a Catholic church, you'll find an altar at the front. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place where a sacrifice is made. That's the root meaning of the word altar. Again, Abraham didn't have a Bible to tell him to do this. He couldn't go to Leviticus chapter 1 and say, oh, Leviticus chapter 1 tells me I need to build it. No, he just did it. It was spontaneous. He built an altar of stones. He took an animal. We don't know what type of animal. He sacrificed that animal and he offered it up to God. Why did he do that? Because he knew there was something instinctive within. He knew that this is how you respond to God. We sacrifice ourselves. We say, God, it's not about me. Okay, given up to me, I will fail. I will never follow you. I'll never achieve what you want. Sacrifice, offer to God of, of ourselves. But secondly, it's a way to say, God, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you. I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to give you an old lamb that's got three legs and I'm going to get rid of it anyway. God, I'm going to pick that one. That's the very best one I've got. And he would maybe bring the lamb. He would lay the lamb on the altar. He would sacrifice this lamb and say, God, I give you my very best. I give you first and best. That's what Abraham did. He did it to the God who appeared to him. I'm going to finish with a very quick story. I told you, I promised you every time I preach in the church, um, till God tells me not to, I'm going to give you another story. This guy, I, I haven't met him personally. Um, when I was in Glasgow... We started to reach out to refugees, asylum seekers, people who were really, really struggling. We offered a food bank. We helped them with um, topping up their, their gas and electricity so they would have power. But many times you'd say to people, is there any other way we can help you? People say, I don't have a bed. You don't have a bed. I don't have an oven. I can't heat my food. Really? Well, how do you live? I, I eat cold beans. Oh, I don't have a chair. I don't um, have a phone. I, there's nothing. And we're going, we need to do something about this. How do we do it? And so I, I went on, did a little bit of a search, and I came across this amazing organization. Um, they've got some places in Glasgow called Emmaus. Hold that thought. And so I went to the west end of Glasgow, found the Emmaus shop, went in, and there was this lovely man called Richard there to meet me. And this man's picture was on the wall behind. And I said, Richard, I, I run a church in the south side of Glasgow. I need some furniture uh, for people who are really struggling. He says, Don, have a look around the shop. Whatever you see, pick it out and tell me what you can afford. And I'll give it to you in your church, wherever you can afford. We spent thousands of pounds over the last 10 years in that shop. Also, we, when we were given furniture, we always gave it to Emmaus. One day I went in and I said, Richard, who's the guy? That's a great Can I have that picture? No. You can have anything in the shop, Don, but you can't have his picture. That is the man who started this charity. I said, tell me his story. 
Well done. He was born in 1912 in France. There's France again. In Lyon. Um, he was a young man and uh, he joined the Scouts when he was just a teenager. He too went on a trip to Assisi when, and he had an encounter with God and he decided he was going to give his life to God. He became a priest in the church, a Catholic church in France. Then when the war broke out, he joined the French resistance, cared for people, loved people, sheltered people, the Jewish people and everyone from the, from the Nazis. He survived the war. At the end of the war, he walks around the streets of Paris and he sees poverty. He sees demolished buildings. He sees people begging. He sees people without limbs. He sees children running naked in the streets with no clothes. He goes, God, God, help me to do something about this. This is terrible. And so he went to his church and he said to his church congregation, Starting next Sunday, bring whatever you have to the church. Doesn't matter how small it is, anything you've got, and we're going to take it and give it to these people. We're going to bless them. Whatever it is. And the people in this church responded. Sometimes it was food, sometimes it was clothing, sometimes pieces of furniture, sometimes people took them in. And he started a movement. And other churches in Paris and France saw what Abbe Pierre was doing, um, Father Peter, <laughs> and they said, we're going to do that too. So they say, we'll do it. So other priests say, bring whatever you've got to church and we're going to give it to the poor. We're going to help rebuild our city and show them that God has not abandoned us, that God loves them. And eventually it spread and spread and spread into all the worlds. And this man set up a movement called Emmaus. And all over the world now, in every continent, uh, every country, there are Emmaus shops that are there to empower people who are trapped in poverty to get out of poverty. It's an amazing movement. Um, eventually, he was given a Peace Prize, a Nobel Peace Prize, and this man traveled all over the world like Abraham. Um, tens and tens of thousands of miles. Simple Catholic priest who wanted to make a difference. Let's pray as we conclude this morning. And as the band come, the challenge today is two challenges. First of all, what story are you living in? What is currently shaping your life and how you view yourself? What negative parts of that story are holding you back today? You need to know that there is a God in heaven who's your father, who sent his one and only son into this world not just to save you from your sins, but to give you a reason for living. And he calls you to leave whatever it is today that's holding you back. Let it go. Let it go. And go and follow and find a different story to live in that's centered in Jesus. You may never become an Abbe Pierre, but you can make a difference in your community, in your world. And God can use you to bless others. And so today, as we start this journey, stay with us on the journey. Be open to what God has to say to you. And uh, just be open for God speaking to you. And when he speaks to you, as Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it.